Paul believed with all of his heart that God called him to be an apostle to the Gentile. Paul had this desire, this burning desire to now take the gospel of Jesus Christ through salvation to a people who had not yet heard the message of Christ. He's saying, be careful that you don't go judging people. We are all sinners. He's trying to bring a people together with the common bond and understanding that they are all in need of Jesus. Not one of us are righteous before God or better than one another. But the only one who was and who is, is Jesus Christ. You don't got to condemn yourself, hate yourself. You don't got to tear yourself down when you fall short. Jesus is the one who is there to pick you up. He's like, I got you. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. God bless you. It's good to be in God's house. Amen. Uh, great to have you joining us online. For those who are, uh, who are joining us, it's always a blessing, uh, particularly for those. I know we have a multi-generational church, which means uh, we have some folks who, depending on the day, week, month, uh, what they're going through might cause them to need to be at home. And so we don't want to shame anybody uh, that, that needs to, to join us via online. So welcome to those who are joining us. It's also a blessing for those who are, are part of our kind of larger network of Mission Ebenezer family, uh, but just don't happen to live in the LA area. And so they're able to join in. I know my, uh, my wife's grandmother loves to join us online. After she attends her home church in Barstow, she always jumps on and, uh, and joins us as well uh, via Facebook and, and various other uh, avenues. So praise God. Welcome. It is good to be in God's house. Amen. I came in this morning and I was really encouraged by one thing in particular. I do not see very many Chiefs or Eagles jerseys. I was just a little nervous that all of a sudden it's Super Bowl Sunday and then next thing you know there, there's just like Mahomes jerseys everywhere or like Jalen Hurts, and I'm like, I haven't seen one Eagles or Chiefs jersey in church all season long, and, uh, and I'm glad to see that all of us losers represent our teams well, okay? So, I mean, some of us made it to the playoffs, others of us didn't, but we ain't going to go there because it only comes down to two teams, and it turns out that none of us are supporting them, so... Um, way, way to be loyal, okay? I just got to say that. I'm proud of you for being loyal, all right? Um, the other thing I want to make mention of before we get into the Word and start to unpack Romans, it's a wonderful passage today. I'm really excited to uh, see how God might minister to us through uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Um, but I just want to remind, today is kind of, there's a theme of like message to, to fellas, so I'm going to keep that theme going. Tuesday is Valentine's Day. Um, okay, I'll leave it there. Because everybody's all caught up in Super Bowl, but don't forget, okay? I'm just trying to look out for the marriages of our church. Tuesday is Valentine's Day. All right. It sure is. Thank you, Miss Carla. Monday is my wife's birthday. Trust me, I know that. I've known that since we started dating. When she told me there's no such thing as a combined gift, I'm like, okay. All right, we got that cleared up, like on year one. And... Uh, it's been, it's been a number of, it's been like 20 years, man, or something since we've been dating uh, and then married for the last 15, praise God. Um, so thank you, Miss Carla, for that wonderful reminder. Um, just keeping me humble, keeping me on my toes. Um, okay, so 
Next week, another thing, we got the bake sale going on. There's a lot of really exciting things happening at church in the, in the coming weeks. Another thing that we're going to do, um, because this is part of our heartbeat as a church, is we recognize that when you look around, I mean, just really quickly, look around in the sanctuary, you will recognize, uh, and if you hang out for the next service too, if you ever get a chance to be with us during our Spanish service, you'll recognize that this church is blessed with representation from almost every continent in the globe. Like literally, not just our lineage and heritage, which it's there as well, but also even in terms of like folks who have family in different parts of the world, which means this is a global church in the sense that we care about what's taking place in the world, right? We're not so uh, only focused on what's happening in the local community, although we are very much engaged here in this space, but we also have our eyes open to what's taking place around the world. And if you've been in the news at all recently, uh, you may have seen uh, that Turkey and Syria have been hit with a devastating, massive earthquake, multiple earthquakes, registering more than seven, uh, seven on the, on the, uh, the uh, what's it called, the scale, the Richter scale, um, and <clears throat> so much uh, devastation, um, like 20,000 deaths, uh, 80,000 more who are injured. Uh, we just can't even fathom what that's like. We've gone through our small little shakeup that we've had around here, uh, but nothing compared to what they're going through right now. So we're going to collect a special offering next week on Sunday. So mark it on your calendar, uh, set aside a few dollars, maybe more than a few, that we can uh, send out to a missions organization that will be providing relief work on the ground um, there in Turkey and Syria. Uh, more than likely, we'll probably go through the Convoy of Hope, which is a ministry organization connected to our denomination, which is Assemblies of God. Um, and in fact, my mom's family are connected via um, being the, uh, the CEO of that organization in Springfield, Missouri. So our, we are going to uh, bring together a gift so that we could uh, be part of, be in solidarity with the body of Christ. And whether or not they're Christians, believers, our call is to love people, right? Um, and so we're going we're gonna to love that region because we believe that's a witness uh, of God's love uh, through us. Amen? Um, so put that in the calendar. Uh, come next week uh, ready to give. We will take a uh, kind of a separate offering specifically to, uh, to support um, folks in Turkey and Syria going through um, a really, really devastating time. Okay, so let's turn our attention to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Go ahead and open your Bible. Um, with me to Romans chapter 5. I'll, I'll give this morning's message a title, uh, and the title that I will give it is, uh, From Where Does Hope Come? From Where Does Hope Come? Romans chapter 5. And before we begin to read the first few verses of Romans chapter 5, I do want to uh, bring forth a... Uh, Kind of a message that's in concert with what we're looking at today. Uh, so I'm going to read an excerpt from uh, one of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's speeches called I've Been to the Mountaintop, which he delivered on April 3rd, 1968 in Memphis, Tennessee. So in this uh, speech, Dr. King uh, says the following. As you know, if I were standing at the beginning of time with the possibility of general and panoramic view of the whole human history up to now and the almighty said to me Martin Luther King which age would you like to live in 
And um, Dr. King begins by uh, starting with Egypt and, and then maybe wanting to see the people of Israel passing through the Red Sea and then going on to the promised land. And, and then he says, but I wouldn't stop there. I'd want to see Greece. And he begins to talk about the, the golden age of Greece and, and Rome. And then he skips all the way into the 1800s in the U.S. during the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. And then he says, but I wouldn't stop there. Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now that's a strange statement to make because the whole world is all messed up. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land. Confusion all around. That's a strange statement, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And I see God working in this period of the 20th century in a way that men, in some strange way, are responding. Something is happening in our world. The masses of people are rising up. And wherever they are assembled today, whether they are in Johannesburg, South Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, Accra, Ghana, New York City, Atlanta, Georgia, Jackson, Mississippi, or Memphis, Tennessee, the cry is always the same. We want to be free. He continues in this speech. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land, and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That's some good preaching. April 3rd, 1968. From where does hope come is the question that I want to ask this morning. Because I believe that as we think about kind of a hope that we think is accessible, we often tend to create two categories in our mind. Hope is often associated with good feelings, with smiles, with happiness, with excitement, with something that we could stand upon. Uh, we, we tend to associate hope with things that look like it's going in a relatively good direction, but the opposite is also true where we think of hopelessness, we often think of suffering and pain and disappointment and frustration and confusion. And so we, we often place hope and hopelessness in these two spaces where hope is connected to situations and circumstances that look like it's going to be all right. And hopelessness is connected to situations and circumstances where it looks like everything's going to be all wrong. And yet we find a prophetic leader like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King standing in the middle of a, a seemingly hopeless situation, speaking words of hope to a people essentially saying, God is at work. No matter what we see, no matter what the evidence is, no matter what we're going through, there's a belief and a conviction that God is up to something. 
So from, from where does hope come? Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Rome, and he's writing to a church filled with people in a small, this wasn't a massive church, this wasn't a big building, this was a number of believers who had placed their faith in Jesus, who gathered together in homes so that they could reflect on what it means to surround their life around the lordship of Jesus, and he's writing to a group of people who are being persecuted, who are being rejected, who are being treated like they are other than or less than because of the fact that they have placed their allegiance in a man named Jesus Christ. The Jews rejected them and the Gentiles rejected them. They found themselves in a place in between, not quite sure how to keep going. People were boycotting their businesses if they chose to follow Jesus because they were choosing to follow a minority religion. You see, if you called Jesus Lord, what you were saying is that Caesar was not. And by saying Caesar was not in that political age in the city of Rome, essentially what you were saying is, I will not go along with the rules and regulations of this empire, which was tantamount to treason in those days. So you would be a political minority, a religious minority, and a social minority all at once. So your, 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 your bank account was impacted by your faith. Your politics were impacted by your faith. And all of that was part of the, the, the situation that Paul was writing to. And Paul wanted to let them know, if you really want to find a hope that will get you through, make sure it's not superficial hope. Make sure the hope that you have isn't based on uh, plugging your ears and closing your eyes to the hardship of the world. Make sure that your hope is founded on something that can get you through the hardest of times. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. We'll start with just verses 1 and 2. We're going to unpack some really good, sound Pauline theology here in the in the book of Romans says in verse 1 Romans chapter 5 therefore somebody say therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God So Paul, starting with the therefore, we always know that whenever there's a therefore, it's connecting an idea from the previous section of Scripture, and it's connecting it to what's coming ahead. So therefore, it's connecting to chapter 4. What was Paul talking about in chapter 4? He was making the case to the people in Rome that that justification, righteousness, being right with God, does not come through the works of the law, but it comes by faith. And Paul begins, he explains to them in chapter 4 that, uh, that Abraham, because he trusted God, God said, Abraham, I want you to go. I'm going to make a people out of you, but you got to leave your father's home, everything that's comfortable. you got to leave what you know and go into the unknown, and trust me, I'm going to be with you. Just, just go where I say to go. Abraham said, yes, Lord, and his faith or his belief or his trust in God was credited to him as righteousness. So that's the case that Paul's making in chapter 4. So what he's saying here is if you want to be made right with God, the first thing you got to figure out is how to trust God. 
It's not being holier than others, walking around, acting like you're better than people, trying to check all the different lists of what you need to do. If you want to be made right with God, it starts with, do you trust God? And I think about my own life and the moments where I've been furthest from God is when I've trusted God the least. Right? If I was like, Lord, I know that you want to, when I was single in those single days, Lord, I know you want me to have a, a, a godly wife, but it's taken a while because the last two girls I asked to go on a date told me no. Right? Okay, Lord, I'm going to take it into my own hands now, and I'm no longer going to trust that you have what's best for me. So I'm going to go out, and anybody that looks pretty, I'm going to take her out on a date. And the Lord's like, come on, man. Trust me. Right? Or with our finances or whatever it may be, often we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble when we don't start with the truth of trusting in God, that God knows what's best for us. That his time is the best time. That his way is the best way. That his solution is the best solution. That his word is the best truth. When we begin to, 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 to lose our trust and our belief that God knows what's best, we take matters into our own hands and we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. So it starts in chapter 4 as we lead into chapter 5 with recognizing that justification. What is justification? Let's, let's unpack that. Uh, uh, justification, to be justified, right, means to be made right. Um, to, to be made uh, aligned with God. Okay? When, whenever, if you take your car in and, and you're driving down the road and you take your hand off the wheel, if your car starts to hang a left, or hang a right, it means that you have an alignment problem, right? It means that there's, there's there, maybe three of the tires are going in the right way, but one of them's got a little bit of a, you know, his own idea. And so you go to get them rotated and aligned so that when you're driving without your hand, don't do it, by the way, that's a bad idea. I'm just giving you an example, okay? But if your hands weren't on the steering wheel, it should go straight relatively, right? So alignment is, is what takes place. So, so righteousness or being justified means to be made aligned with the heart of God. To be made right with our God. Notice that the scripture talks about being justified, not justifying ourselves. Because we can't justify ourselves. We can't make ourselves right. But God can, through Jesus, can make us right can make us aligned, can, can make us, uh, 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 I'll, make, I'll make up a word here for us, ready? Rightified, okay? Rightified, all right? Anyway, if people can make up words left and right these days, if we just say it enough, right, then Google will, will, will accept it and then it'll turn into, anyway, can, let's, let's, let, rightified. We are made rightified by Jesus who takes our lives that we're veering off course to the left or to the right and says, I want you close to me. And I want your life to be aligned with me. So it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Paul starts out in verse 1. Uh, I, I want to zoom in on the phrase that says, we have been. See, we have been. If, if anybody here loves English, and, and, and maybe you're an English teacher, then, then, uh, then you would know that the, 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 the verbology there, we have been, it means uh, it is a, a past perfect way of discussing what has taken place. What that means is, it already happened. Been done. Right? If it says we have been justified, it's differently than saying you're almost justified. 
or you will be justified. We have been justified means we've already been made right with God. Guess when that happened? When Jesus died on the cross. It already happened 2,000 years ago. He doesn't need to do it again. He already went up there and took your sin and my sin, our brokenness, our shame, our pain. He already took our, our identity issues and problems and challenges. He already took all the things that we carry up onto that cross with him so that when he died on the cross at that moment and when we accept what he did for us, we have already been made right with God. It's been done. Some of us are like, well, Pastor Koba, if we're talking about being made right and justified and being declared righteous, doesn't that mean that I need to be perfect? Doesn't that mean that I could no longer sin? Doesn't that mean that, 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 that I should? And what I would say is simply this. We are in the process of sanctification that follows a first process of justification. Sanctification means being, uh, it means being made holy right? And into the image of God, which God is doing in us, and none of us have arrived just yet. We are all in this process of being made holy. But in terms of being made right with God, that's a matter that Jesus already took care of. He did it. Let me give you a quick example. The other day, we had a, a guest speaker on our campus, and it was a wonderful event. And, um, and afterward, we were doing a special kind of VIP lunch with this guest speaker and select members of the university. And one of my former students just uh, happened to show up that day, and he came. And, uh, and he was really excited to meet this speaker because he had heard about him and he had read his stuff. And he said, oh, man, I just love to meet this person. So I said, hey, do you want to come to a special lunch? Right. He was like, well, yeah, I don't have any plans. I'd love to come. I said, OK, so here's the deal. When we go over there, make sure that you stand next to me so that when we walk in, your name's not going to be on the VIP list, right? Because he, he wasn't on the first invite. But if he stood next to me, I was part of the planning process for this event. I'll tell the person at the computer, he's good, he's with me. We go in, he enjoys his lunch, he gets to meet one of his heroes. It's a good day. Sure enough, what happens? We get to the event, I show up, my buddy comes along next to me, right? He comes, I says, his name's not on the list, but he's good, he's going to sit next to me. He comes on in, even though his name wasn't on the list. What does that mean? That means that by virtue of his relationship with me, he was invited into a space that he otherwise wasn't invited to. Guess what? By being in relationship with Jesus, you were invited into a space that you otherwise weren't invited to. I, I didn't make my friend prove all kinds of things to me in order for me to let him sit next to me at this VIP lunch. I love him. He's one of my boys and you get to sit next to me. You don't have to prove, you don't have to show me your resume and what you have done or haven't done or all these, whether or not you have letters in front of your name or after your name. Just come sit next to me and you're all good to go. Jesus did that for us on the cross. He says, you're mine. And he talks to his dad and his dad, he's cool, he's with me. Okay, if he's cool with you, he's cool with me. If she's cool with you, she's cool with me, right? So to be made right, to be justified which has already happened at the cross, uh, is, is to be invited into a space that we didn't deserve. Right? And so it says, therefore, since we have been, somebody say have been. Justified. So that means, that means being made right with God through faith. Somebody say faith. 
So the word for faith is simply like belief, trust, right? And then I want to put an active verb onto it because I believe that our faith needs to be active. It doesn't, it's not just kind of like a, a, a mental, uh, uh, you know, component of our being, but it has to be active. And so I'll, I'll add another word, faith, trust, uh, belief, and obedience, right? Because obedience, when we act in obedience toward God, it is a lived out expression of trust, right? Because you, you ever done the trust fall? I'm not going to do it right now because I don't trust none of y'all, but except for maybe Mario, big Mario. <laughs> trust me, I, I've fallen into his, his arms multiple times <laughs> over my life. I'm not going to get into all those stories. But a trust fall, right? They call it a trust fall because, you know, you're, 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 you're checking whether or not you really believe that somebody's going to catch you if you fall, Right? Because um, it's different if you ask somebody, do you trust me? Yeah, okay, show me, right? And so that's one of the ways. All that to say is this, when we obey God, what we're doing is we are putting our faith into action. Because we're saying, okay, Lord, I trust you with this, right? I trust you with this. So, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, the next part of verse 1 says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Somebody say, yes, please. Peace with God. What does that mean? That means that when we're in God's presence, we're not tripping. When we're in God's presence, we're not nervous. We're not worried. We're not running away. We're not, you, ever, you ever been in an area where you're next to somebody and you're a little bit nervous because for whatever reason they make you nervous? For me, it was like when I knew I was doing stupid stuff and I had to go sit next to my dad. I just knew he could see right through me. He could tell what I, like, it was almost like, there's no way he would have known. But for whatever reason, I just felt like, yeah, my dad knows. Right? Just felt nervous, right? Until finally later on, I realized I didn't have to feel that way. Uh, Sometimes we feel that way about God. So what does that uh, translate to? We run away from church. We run away from prayer. We don't want to get into the word of God. Because we know that as soon as we start doing those things, conviction enters. And we have to deal with where we are. And we'd rather be comfortable with where we are. So we intentionally avoid God and God's people so we don't have to feel all those feelings. But Paul says, because we've been justified with Jesus, we don't got to feel all those feelings. We can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Man, peace with God is a powerful thing, right? When we have peace with God, our creator, our almighty, it's, it's a, a sweet uh, a space where we recognize it's not because of our goodness, but the goodness of God, that we recognize that there is alignment between uh, who God is and who he's calling us to be. And, and we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be scared or afraid. We could simply be at peace In the presence of our God. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given us that access. Look what verse 2 says. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. Somebody say grace. In which we now stand. Man, this is a powerful couple verses in Romans chapter 5 where uh, Paul's giving us all these words that are connected to what it's like to be redeemed. Right? We've got language to it now. We've got language like being justified and language like having peace with God and language like having faith and trust and, and language like giving access to us to be, to be in this grace. 
Grace is a powerful concept. Grace is unmerited favor. Somebody say unmerited favor. That means I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. Grace means that despite my actions, God says, it's all good. You're my daughter. I love you. Despite what we've done or said or haven't done or said, God says, it's all good. You're my son. I love you. I have grace over over you. Grace changes us. When somebody has grace, when somebody has mercy on us, right, it changes us from the inside out. Because we recognize that we deserved a particular punishment and we walk away having been forgiven and all of a sudden there's a sense of gratitude and joy and thanksgiving and there's a sense of of redemption and hope and reconciliation that comes when we experience the mercies of God. Which, by the way, according to scripture, are brand new every single morning with the rising of the sun. Now, here's the thing. You might be thinking, Pastor Koba, you're talking to a lot of people in here, but you must not be talking to me because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I come from. And what I would say is, you're absolutely right. There's many of you that I don't know your story. I don't know what you've done or what you haven't done. I I don't know where you've been. And I don't know all these different things that have gone on in your life. But what I do know is this. As long as you've been alive, the same sun that's up there lighting up the day-to-day gets up every single day. And the Bible says whenever you see that, it's evidence that there's opportunity for new mercies that day. I love, I love that the scriptures give us so much hope because we're reminded that it doesn't say his mercies are new every morning for some people. Right? Aren't you thankful that the Bible doesn't start giving all these specifiers and qualifiers? It just says his mercies are new every single morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that, that, that when I woke up today, no matter what happened yesterday or last week or last year, today there's a new opportunity if I come with a repentant heart and if I confess my sin before God and if I say, Lord, I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to do those things anymore. I want to be a different man. I want to be a different woman. I want to give you my life. I want to start today and from this day forward begin a new life with you. If you woke up this morning and you're ready to turn from whatever it is you've been stuck in all these years, today you have a chance to do that right now that's the beauty of God that's the beauty of Jesus on the cross and that is the definition of grace we're all under this grace none of us have earned salvation none of us have earned justification none of us have earned relationship with God all of those things have been given to us Because Jesus' great love for us and his blood is efficacious enough to cover our sins and to connect us with his Father. That's grace. That is grace. We don't often think about the beauty of that grace because, you know, we get saved and then we start doing some good things. And then we start thinking that our good things are the things that keep us in right standing with God, forgetting about the fact that even on our best day, we are uh, uh, light years and miles away from God, that it's that grace that covers that distance. No matter whether we're living our best life or our worst life, it's grace that covers the distance. Right? And so that ought to do something in us that that causes us to worship when we say, like, Lord, 
Thank you for having mercy on me, a sinner. Remember, Jesus was talking about two guys who were praying in the synagogue, and, and he says one of them was over there, and, and a Pharisee, and he stood up, and he looked over at this, uh, this other guy that was beating his chest and falling on the ground, tears, mokos, all that, crying out on the altar, right? Making more work for the janitor, you know? And the Pharisee over there says, Lord God, Almighty Starts using all kinds of words in his prayer that he don't even use in regular talk, right? Infathomable, incomparable. God, thank you that I'm not like that broke down sinner over there. Right? And then the other one, not even caring about what this person's thinking, because his eyes are too full with tears, just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, which one of them is actually talking to God? And it reminds us that that is the impact of grace. That changes us, that transforms us, that makes us want to say, Lord, you are good. Jesus, you are wonderful. God, we thank you. Lord, we praise your name because you have conquered for me what I couldn't conquer for myself. Lord, we thank, I thank you that you, you didn't get mad at me because this is the 75th time I brought this same sin to you. But you're like, let's do this and let's try not to make it a 76. Grace. Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Into this grace in which we now sit. Into this grace in which we now walk. Into this grace in which we now work. Into this grace. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Anybody thankful for his grace this morning? So, so Paul, again, as we're looking at just these first couple verses of chapter 5, he's, he's giving us some theology, okay? These are some good, some good words that we ought to be thinking about because they mean something. They're not just empty words put together to sound nice in a letter written to a, a, a few folks that live in the city of Rome. He is giving them a foundation to stand upon. Like This is what hope is. This is what faith is. This is what justification. This is what peace is. This is what grace is. And he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, some of us would rather that Paul skips from verse 2 all the way to verse 6 and following because the next few verses start to take us into a territory that many of us wish we don't have to deal with in the scripture. Let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, but not only this, somebody say, that's not all, right? It's like an infomercial, that's not all, there's more, wait, and the more is this, we don't only rejoice in the hope of glory, which we will because it's a wonderful thing to think about the, the glory of God and, and future glory one day when we're all in heaven and even between now and then, those moments where you, we experience the glory of God right here and now in the lives that we currently live. But Paul says, it doesn't end there, there's even more. So let's continue reading. It says, not only so, but we also glory or we also rejoice in our, somebody say that, sufferings. 
Not only this, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Some of us are like, man, Paul, why you got to go there? Why you couldn't just leave it in justification and all these other good words that feel good? Hope and faith and grace. And now all of a sudden he says, but we also rejoice in things not going great. Right? I was expecting like, 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 like a 10% of you to get up and walk out like, nah, this ain't the kind of church I was looking for, man. I want the kind of church that only talks about the good stuff all the time. Not talking about suffering. I don't want to start talking about rejoice, rejoicing and suffering. What are you talking about? What kind of thought is that? Rejoicing and suffering. None of us want to rejoice in suffering. And if you do, um, you are a masochist. You, you like punishment. Like, we don't like suffering. You don't wake up in the morning, right? How, how many of you woke up this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but this is a rhetorical question. How many of you woke up this morning like, Lord, I can't wait for the sufferings today? Like, like traffic, Lord, bring it on. Um, spilling the coffee on my lap, on my drive-in. Yep. Put that on there too, right? Like, none of us woke up this morning like, Lord, bring it on. If you are, you crazy. <laughs> you need counseling and therapy. Come and see me. I'll get you hooked up. No, we don't say we don't. We don't because we don't like it. We don't like trouble. We don't like problems. We don't like challenges. We want things to be easy. We want things to be smooth. We want a good outcome. We want to see the results of the things that we're hoping for. We, we want all these different things. It's part of our human nature. We don't wake up in the morning saying, God, make life harder for me today. And, and if that's the case, that just means you're normal. I'm not shaming anybody. I'm not saying we should pray for those things. Don't. Please don't. Because God will answer your prayer. And you'll be like, why did I pray that? Why did, why did I say that? Right? But the thing about it is this. We know that hardship, challenges, struggle, difficulty are normal and part of life. And they are not at all evidence or reflection that God has forgotten about us. If anything, it's often through those experiences that we grow closest to God. I hear people often say, man, I finally learned how to pray going through what I went through. Because before it was all cute prayer, you know what I mean? Like, like all nicely written and all that. And then, you, and, and then you went through it, right? You're going through the challenge of a lifetime. And all of a sudden, you start speaking in tongues. You're crying out to the Lord. You're like, you got one word prayers. You got hundred word prayers. You got prayers with words that shouldn't be in prayers. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Koba. It's because you're a Chiefs fan. If you, if, you, if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> By the way, let me pause for a second and say, Pastor T, thank you for your message on Wednesday night, the Bible study that you brought. Man. Keeping it real with us, bringing the word of God alive into our day-to-day -day living. That's what I love about this church is, is we, we wanna, we're not perfect, right? But we want to be a people of God who are trying our best to be aligned with God and, and bring ourselves into this space. Is that all right? You don't got to leave yourself in the parking lot to be a, 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 a central member of Mission Ebenezer Family Church. In fact, our encouragement is bring all that stuff in so that God can clean all that stuff up, okay? 
because whatever you leave in the parking lot can't get cleaned up in here, right? If it stays in the car, okay, then it's going to be waiting for you when we say amen and walk out of these doors. But if you bring it in here with you, amen, God can do something with it. So Paul says we don't just rejoice in all the hope and the grace and the good stuff, but we rejoice also in the suffering, the affliction. I like the word in Greek. It just sounds worse than sufferings. It says philipsis. That's hard to say. And it just sounds bad. Like philipsis sounds like a lot of bad stuff coming my way. And Paul says, we thank God for all that stuff too. Why? Check this out. Because we know that suffering produces Perseverance. Somebody say perseverance. Perseverance. What is perseverance? Hang in there. Stick with it. Don't give up. Get back and try again. Don't be easily deterred or discouraged. Perseverance means you're not going to let something come your way and distract you from what God's doing in your life because your eyes are focused on Jesus and not on your problem. Perseverance. Right, it reminds me of high school football, since this is Super Bowl Sunday. High school football in July, there's always 100 guys that line up that want to play on the team. By the time the helmets and the shoulder pads come out and tackling is about to happen, the team cuts down in half. Not because of injury, but because people are scared. They don't want all that. So they're like, you know what, that was fun in July. I'm glad I came out for a month. But I don't think I'm ready for all this other stuff. The pain. The injury, the, you know, all that comes with that next season. All of a sudden, it just kind of gets dwindled down. Perseverance that Paul's talking about. He says, when we rejoice in suffering, when we recognize that that suffering is going to translate into perseverance. In other words, the more stuff we go through and learn to lean on God in the midst of it, the more we're able to go through that next thing that we're about to face. If we've been over one mountain, then when you see a mountain, you're not as afraid because you could say, I've been over a mountain before. If you've crossed through one valley, the next time you see a valley, you'll say, it's all good because I've been through a valley before. So whatever we've been through begins to add to our ability to say, God, you've gotten me through those things. You could get me through the next thing. It makes me think of David in the Bible when he came up against Goliath and all the Israelites were afraid and they're like, nobody wanted to attack him. Goliath's getting up every morning like, if one of y'all is brave enough to come and fight me, we could settle this right here in the middle of this valley and not one person would come up and David comes over here bringing Uber Eats, bringing some bread and cheese to his brothers, never had any training as a soldier, was a shepherd boy, took care of sheep, right, was shearing sheep for a living, and came and saw the giant, and he said, I have gone against a bear and a lion, and both times God gave me victory over those. Why should I be afraid of that dude over there? Why am I, why am I going to run away from, from, from Gahu, whatever his name is, when God's given me victory over a lion and a bear. In other words, the lion and the bear were threats. But because God got him through a lion and because God got him through a bear, then he wasn't afraid of Goliath. So we rejoice not only in things going well, but we rejoice also in our sufferings because sufferings produce perseverance. The suffering produces, stick with it. 
Yeah, maybe you've been working through some things in your marriage and you're praying to God and you're saying, Lord, I, I, I need a breakthrough and I've tried and I've gone to this retreat and I've read that book and it just seems like we keep running against the same thing. And rather than saying, I'm going to let go and give up and, and, and I've done all the hard work that I can, perseverance means no matter what you've gone through, I'm going to stick with this thing because God's going to work it out. Even if it's hard, especially when it's hard. Right? especially when it's hard, we're going to stick with it. We're not turning around. We're not going backward. And then he continues in this section of Scripture. He says, we rejoice in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Somebody say character. The word here in Scripture means proven character. In other words, what it's saying is the more perseverance that you're able to develop by virtue of the sufferings that you've been through, relying on God to get you through those things, what you are establishing is the kind of character that is consistent, reliable, trustworthy. You are, you are developing a kind of character that is tried and tested, grounded and founded, uh, uh, in season and out of season, little to no variation or wavering is what takes place when God... God does his work in us through the suffering and perseverance that he's producing in us. So then we become somebody who we know that if there's a storm coming, you want to go hang out next to that person because they know how to go through storms. You don't want to be a fair weather Christian that only works in sunshine, no wind, perfect conditions. We want to be the kind of Christian that when there's a storm, somebody else says, hey, where are you going to be during this storm? Is it okay if I come over there with you? Absolutely, come on over, because we've been through a storm or two. And we're going to make it through this one also. Somebody say amen. amen. Perseverance produces proven character. And proven character produces, what does it say there? Proven character produces... Proven character produces. So the question we asked at the beginning of the sermon is, from where does hope come? Hope comes from Jesus. Hope comes from being in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Hope comes from the grace and mercy that we stand in by virtue of what God has done and not connected to anything that we've done. Hope comes from Suffering, pain, confusion, challenges. Hope comes from perseverance, getting back up. Maybe you got knocked down. Don't stay down. Get up. Maybe some of you are knocked down right now in life. Don't stay down. Get up. I mean, you showed up at church this morning, which means you're not comfortable staying down because you wouldn't be here if you were. If you were, you, you'd be somewhere else, far away from this place. But the fact that you're here means you're, you're, you're trying to get that one leg up. <laughs> trying to see if there's anything around you that you could grab to help get you a little grip, right? See, the thing about it is, man, I'm going to go on a tangent. We don't have that much time. Super Bowl's coming up. I've got to get on the grill. Let's bring this to a wrap. Chewy, by the way, I like your uh, referee uh, jersey back there, man. I just noticed that right now. Chewy, stand up. Everybody can see you. He's like, forget the teams, man. I'm a referee. <laughs> just be, be careful. People are going to start throwing things at you, bro. <laughs> just yelling at you for no reason in the parking lot. Come on, Chewy. <laughs> what kind of camera angle was that, man? <laughs> 
Where was I? Somebody help me. Huh? Oh, I know where I was. I know where I was. I got it. 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 Okay. Anybody like watching boxing? Okay. So when somebody gets knocked down, right? Um, that's discouraging, man. You're knocked on the ground. It's embarrassing in front of everybody, right? Eyes all swollen. Blood coming out of everywhere. But there's always somebody in a corner, whether or not you know how to get to that corner in that moment, that's yelling really loud, louder than the crowd, louder than the announcer, louder than the bell. There's somebody in there that's telling you, come on, come on, come on, get up, get up, get up, go to your left, go to your left, grab the rope, come on, get up, put your left knee up, that's right, come on up. All right, come on over here. Let me get, and then they, they, they get a water and they start spraying the water. They start cleaning everything out. They start talking in their ear, right? Multiple people, like they got three people coming and telling them, like to me, I'm kind of like, man, just let one person talk, bro. You can't hear instructions when five people are saying something at the same time. But here they are, one of them's toweling them off, the other one's doing their thing. Maybe sometimes they come and bring the little, you know, that little thing, whatever that is with the, what is it? Vaseline, right? But you got a team that's with you in the ring. If you're going through something in life, don't go into the ring by yourself. Who's on your team? Number one, Jesus is on your team. Number two, the body of Christ is on your team. We got your back. We can't have your back if you didn't invite us to the fight. But if we're there with you, we'll be in the front row. We'll be in the corner. We're going to be yelling. We're going to pick you up with our words. We're going to pick you up with our text messages. We're going to pick you up with a meal. We're going to pick you up by coming and saying, it's all right. You're okay. Hey, let's go. Two more rounds. You got this. You got this. Don't give up. Believe it or not, you think you're beat up, but I'm looking over there at the other corner, and that person's more beat up than you. You can't see it because your eyes are all blurry, but I can see it. Hang in there. Two more rounds. You got this. Come on. Let's get to the end of this fight. Come on. Don't give up. Man, the apostle Paul is encouraging the people in Rome, and he's telling them, don't give up. And don't get thrown off when hard things come. Because it's not an indication that God has forgotten about you or God doesn't like you. If anything... It's probably training. And oftentimes the best coaches make their best players go through the hardest training. So if you're going through hard training right now, don't be discouraged. Don't lose hope. Look up and say, Lord, I know you can get me through this. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. Why? That's the fool, godly fool, that sees a storm coming and smiles at it. <laughs> Laughs at the storms. Everybody else is running around, frantic. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And the person who's been through 100 storms looks at it and goes, relax, man. We've been through a storm. We've been through worse than this. This one ain't nothing compared to what God has brought us through. If God has brought you through some stuff, he is producing in you the kind of hope that is not a fair weather hope. 
It's not a conditional hope. It's not a hope based on perfect circumstances. It's a hope based on the worst of circumstances because you've got the best of gods that's on your side, in your corner, helping you get through whatever it is that you're facing. Somebody say amen. Amen. 